Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Kevin Dibley starts a new series entitled, All is Calm, All is Bright. Seven Bible passages that can bring peace and hope to the church in a time of chaos and uncertainty. For the last six Sundays in 2020 and the first in 2021, we're going to study the final seven passages of scripture that are part of our Church Fighter Versus Memory Program. We thought that in this time of chaos and uncertainty, the best thing that we can do is try to get God's Word deep into our hearts and lives. We are doing so that we might help each other be filled with peace and hope in these crazy COVID times. So, would you be willing to join us in this? Would you take up the challenge to memorize some or all of these passages? Would you be willing not only to finish 2020 by needing God's word into your heart and mind and life, but to jump on 2021 with comfort, encouragement, and hope of the scriptures? Today's sermon is entitled, From Groaning to Glory, Pleading That Pleases and Persuades God. Let's worship together. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, and uh, we are doing um, a series on our fighter verses, All is Calm, All is Bright, and the song we just sang, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. You know, it's important to linger over words sometimes because I would say that for many of us, um, we need God to rest us to console us, to comfort our hearts, because there's much that causes us to dismay. There is much reason to be unsettled in our own lives and in this age, except for the fact that Jesus has come into the world and the equation has radically changed. Isn't that good news? That reality is fundamentally different for the people of God because God has entered our human condition. If it was on our shoulders, if my life was in my hands, if your life was in your hands, if this world was in our hands, my dear friends, there would be great reason for dismay. But the hope for all of us corporately, collectively, and the hope for us individually is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And that's the key phrase I want you to hear in this text where our fighter verse has been that uh, we ought to take comfort in. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The ministry of the Holy Spirit who lives in you is greater than everything that is coming against us as the people of God. God rest ye merry gentlemen, gentle women, gentle young men, gentle young women. <laughs> God rest you, let nothing you dismay. Here's the, here's the comfort that I'm going to give you in the Word of God today as we come to 1 John. The things that often dismay us the most are often what we battle privately. The things that unsettle us most is what everybody else doesn't know about us. The thing that causes us the greatest struggle is often what we keep hidden in secret because we're afraid if it's disclosed, the dismay would go up. And the, the great comfort is that we have someone fighting on the inside. And when we say the inside, we do mean the inside of the church, but we also need to say it's on the inside of every gospel-believing Christian. 
that greater is he that is in us as the people of God and in us as, as God's children. Greater is the Holy Spirit than everything that's outside of us that seeks to remedy and seeks to resolve or cannot remedy and resolve what's going on in the shadows of our own lives. And so, you know, the end of 1 John is the words, Brothers, keep yourself from idols. And uh, that uh, reality is that we are constantly looking for saviors other than Jesus. We are constantly looking for relief other than the gospel. And the Holy Spirit comes in order to bring the gospel back to center stage and to remind us of what Jesus has done so that you can have nothing cause you to dismay. So let's take a look at 1 John chapter 4. I am inviting you to go to war and worship. And the war is in your own heart. And the war is against everything that is appealing to you to find your rest outside of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at Jesus this morning in John's gospel and take peace from that. So uh, 1 John chapter 4, you'll hear why this is war. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's a key verse, so I'm going to repeat it. How do you know a false spirit from a true spirit? How do you know that which is for you and that which is against you? The Spirit of God declares something consistently. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the Spirit of God against everything that causes us to dismay. So he says down in verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Is that a great line? Is that great assurance to you? So let me just stop there and uh, invite you to reflect on this um, this morning and pray the prayer. I put at the beginning the line from the old hymn, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and make me love thee as I ought to love. Who will help you love the way you ought to love? Do you have anybody in your uh, family or friendship circle that celebrates Christmas too early? Do you have anybody like that? You know, the person that wants to put the tree up Labor Day weekend? Well, maybe not that bad. Certainly at Costco they have them up by then. (laughs) In the stores, you know. Uh, I just need to confess something. I am that guy. <laughs> we had to have make arrangements early in my life because, you know, the moment uh, that I could shift into Christmas mode, I would shift him into Christmas mode. I would put up the tree way too early. By the time we got to Christmas Day, that tree, if you touched it, every needle would have fallen off. You know, the Christmas music. So we had a negotiated settlement in our house for many years that I could not 
um, put up the Christmas tree. I, I, I negotiated this. It was supposed to be December 1st. So I negotiated December 1st or the first major snowfall. Now, I grew up in Canada, so just so you understand, I grew up in southern, the southernmost part of Canada, so that was fair. But then I moved north. I moved a 1,000 miles north, so man, we got the first snowfall by October. So it was free rain for me all that time, you know. But you know, one, I was one of these Christmas guys. I put on, my, you know, the first snowfall, this is true, my mom and dad will tell you, you know, as a 30-year-old guy, when the first snowfall happened, I would call home. I would not say hello. I would play Bing Crosby's White Christmas. And my parents knew the first major snowfall had begun. And so I was into it. But, you know, something happens over life where the sentimentality turns on you. And the sorrow that enters life and the struggles that enter life suddenly take away the boyish innocence that often went around it, such that Christmas for many people, even people for whom it has been precious, suddenly becomes one of the most dark and painful times of their lives. And sometimes it's what's happened in missing loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord. Sometimes it's the battles and scars of living in the world. Sometimes it's 2020, right? You look at the year gone by and you think, man, this has been one brutal year. And, and, and you know, what often happens for us as people is that the battle that goes on is that we have found that the trials of life, the sorrows of life, have actually revealed, pulled back the layer of the sin in my life. And, and I look at my heart and I feel like, man, I thought I had it together till 2020. I thought I could handle it up until now. And suddenly I find within myself this battle going on. And so the thing that distresses me most sometimes is I think, man, I am a mess. And one of the dangers for us in our struggle as we're, in, we're limping along in our spiritual lives is beginning to try to find some sentimental, some feeling, some experiential way to alleviate what's going on in my heart. And we need to come back to the gospel. We need to come back to Jesus Christ. The only hope for my broken heart the only hope for my struggling sin, the only answer is not that I can somehow find a means by which to raise myself back up to God, but that God knew I could not and sent His Son down to me. That's the hope of the Gospel, isn't it? The hope of the Gospel is not that there's been found a new way. <laughs> you know, um, there, there's not, not some new discovery by which I can make my way back up to God. Here's the great discovery of the Gospel. This is the good news. We have a God who condescends to us. This is the message of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to tell you. Those of you who are like me, who celebrate Christmas too early, the Holy Spirit celebrates Christmas every day. I, I don't know what that means practically for your life, except for this. <laughs> what it means is that as you're struggling, the Holy Spirit, the sign in 1 John chapter 4 Greater is he that is in you is this. This is how you know the Spirit of God, the one who confesses Jesus Christ, Jesus, the man from, La uh, from Nazareth, from Galilee, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, taking on flesh, Jesus, the man who walked the earth, is the Christ of Scripture. 
The redemptive history has been fulfilled in the moment in Bethlehem, in human flesh. That Jesus Christ has come, Emmanuel. And has come means he came by the preordained purpose of God to die for sinners. He has come as the second member of the Trinity to take on and alleviate our, and, and rescue humanity from the destruction caused by our rebellion, sin, and indifference to God. He has come in the flesh. He has become one of us forever to redeem us, to die, to live for us, to heal our humanity, and to make all things new. That's the Holy Spirit. He's saying, that's the message of Christmas. Isn't the message of Christmas the incarnation? Isn't it what we're singing? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is how you know the Spirit of God. He doesn't point anywhere else than to Jesus. This is how you know the Spirit of God. He says to you, He's come in the flesh. Now, why do we need to hear this? So, so, so far in our fighter verses, what have we done? We've gone through uh, the lamenting. That was our first one, Psalm 79. So we talked about just weeping and grieving. And last time we studied in Psalm 84 the longing. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Well, this text is for the limping. And I thought of the word limping and realized I've got three L's, so I'm going with it. <laughs> it works. So this is First John. This is for people who are limping along. And they're overwhelmed by their brokenness. And they wonder in their hearts and in their minds, will I ever be able to shake it? And here's the danger. There are a multitude of false spirits that have entered into the world. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist doesn't simply mean against Christ. It means in place of Christ. Other salvations. That's what idols are. God's in place of God. And there are alternatives that come along and say, I know you're struggling, but you know what? Give it up. Or there's no hope. Or, or you know, you're, you're on the outside looking in. So in the writing of 1 John, there was supposedly, uh, scholars believe that there was early forms of Gnosticism and and the, this Gnostic heresy to know was, had a couple of sides to it, but essentially it was a dualistic religion which separated the spiritual from the physical. It, it, it kind of morphed off into different directions, but the spiritual was seen as the, 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 the issue that mattered, and the material was the hopeless, Right? that essentially the argument they had about Jesus was that Jesus was the Christ. It's not, it depends on which distortion of it was, but one of, the, one of the false doctrines that began to form was that Jesus couldn't take on our humanity because humanity and material was so tainted by corruption and sin, God couldn't touch it. And so there began to be this kind of elitist idea that the only thing that could, could be redeemed, the only thing that could be of value is the spiritual. So then there became this elitist group of people who believed they had been enlightened, that they had been touched by the spark of the Spirit, that the sign of the Spirit was that you had some special revelation and special knowledge into God. And so there was two classes of people, the people on the inside and the people on the outside. And, and, you know, if you were on the outside feeling the weakness of your flesh, 
feeling the struggle of your sin. What were you called to do? The, 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 some of the, the Gnostics would say, don't worry about sin because that's your body. There's no hope for the flesh. So you could sin like crazy as long as you had some sort of spiritual connection, spiritual enlightenment. That separate. You know, we do that in religion, don't we? We do that in all kinds of religious activities. There's kind of like the, in some forms, I think of easy believism, evangelicalism, you just pray the prayer and you're on the inside. You live like the devil, but you pray the prayer. Or you get into, you know, some of the, some kind of really um, ceremonial forms of religion, like, uh, you know, classic Roman Catholicism, where you, if you do the, the, the seven things you need to do to be on the inside, you, you're baptized as a child and you go to confirmation or confession, you take your first communion, right? You go through all of those things, you're on the inside, and then Monday to Saturday you can live like the devil because there's such a disparity. That's not the gospel. But you know what happens to us? is as you begin to read your Bible and work it through, you go, man, I, and sometimes it's just that you're with people who seem to look at you and say, what's the matter with you? As if they've got their lives together. I'll tell you this. I've been a pastor for a million years now. Nobody fools me. I don't believe that anybody has it together, especially those who pretend they've got it together. We're broken. We're needy. If we got it together, then Jesus Christ did not have to come in the flesh. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, which means to rescue us fully as human beings. And that's the power to help you battle. So what's the enemy do? He tries to make you feel like some people got it together and I do not. Guess what? They don't have it together. That's the good news. But, you know, the enemy comes in and he starts to say to you lies that get in your head. Let me give you five lies that 1 John addresses. I think probably addresses more. But I'm going to give you 1 John as a spiritual warfare tool today. Okay, so 1 John, here are five lies the enemy who comes and lies to us speaks into your life. Here's number one. You're all alone in your struggle. That's the worst thing that happens, but we believe it. I'm on the outside. I've been on the outside. I'm failing. Nobody else knows how bad I am. And if I was to come out of the closet and share my struggles with someone, if I was to come out of my struggles and share with someone, I would be even more alone. Right? What does the Holy Spirit say? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He has come in the flesh. So I, I feel like I'm all alone. Second one, you've fallen too far. I don't know how many people I think have believed they've committed the unpardonable sin. And whether or not they say they believe they've technically broken the unpardonable sin or they wonder in their hearts if they're so far gone that they can't get back, you know, that they've, they've offended God too greatly, that there's no forgiveness for them. All I know is that they come at it and they feel like there's no hope for a broken sinner like me. If you knew who I was, you would realize why I feel the way I do. Third lie of the enemy is that what? You are broken beyond repair. 
You've done this cycle of sin. You've been addicted to your idol for so long. You've struggled and fallen. You've struggled and fallen. That the honest, naked moment of my soul would say, I believe, I hear this voice. Um, it's, I, I am just too broken to ever be repaired. And I, I want to fight against that at Christmas today. I want to fight against that with the message. The Holy Spirit says Jesus Christ has come into the flesh to heal your humanity. Your hope is not in you. Your hope is in him. Another lie is nobody could love you after this. You need to be reminded as you were loved before the foundation of the world. And God loved you while you were what? Yet a sinner. Christ died for you. And the last lie that comes out of here is that this mess you're in is forever. This is your eternity. And the bad news is, of course, you can get into this kind of thinking lie and be debilitated as a Christian. In one form or another, or all of them accumulatively, you can come into Christmas and go, I'm a mess. What's the matter with me? Is anybody else as messed up as our family? Anybody as, as, as screwed up in their head as I am? My dear friends, yes. Yes. And here's what the Holy Spirit says. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So I'm going to walk you through. Let's just walk through 1 John. I want to give it to you. This is a tool. These are five bullets to put in your gun. When the enemy comes along, when the spirit of the world wants to go to war, and you need to hear the spirit of God against everything you're feeling. So here's number one. You are all alone. You're all alone in this. My dear friends, God came down to tell you you're not alone. He came down into this world because he would not let you be alone. Is that not true? Here's John. Who's writing? This is John's first letter. Listen to how he writes the letter. That which was from the beginning. Sounds like John, the Gospel of John, right? In the beginning was the Word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and touched with our hands. Christ Jesus has come in the flesh. If you want to know that God will have love and compassion on His creation. You can't say it any more than the fact that we could touch Him with our hands. John, who leaned against his breast and took of the Lord's Supper, don't tell me that there's a God up there who you have this dualism who is so pure and separated that He could not take on our humanity. That is as anti-Christ as you can get. And so he writes, he says, Why? This life was made manifest and we seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to what? This is what he says in verse 3. To that we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you might have what? Fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The Trinity has been in fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and now the Son has come so that we might know the love with which the Father has loved the Son from all time. 
And he couldn't make it more clear. Then he came in and said, I will take on your humanity so that you will realize the door has been open fully to you, broken sinner. And so in the rest of the first chapter, this is what John does. He says, there are some of you who said, we've never sinned. Because we're on this spiritual plane. He says, if you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar and you make God out to be a liar. Let's just be honest about it. The common need of humanity was that we could not raise ourselves up. But here's the other truth. If you say, if you confess your sins, what is he? Faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What's going on here? What is Christmas about? Why is heaven opening up? You know, you watch in 19, what is it, 68, 69, whatever year they, they, they put man on the moon, everybody gathered, billion, you know, around the world, millions and millions of people glued to their TV as man stepped onto the moon. My dear friends, nothing compared to the myriad and myriads of angels who, who sat over the edge of heaven and looked down on earth as God the Son took on human flesh. There was nothing up there, but they looked down and said, there's a lot of refuge and garbage and sin and brokenness. And Jesus Christ said, I will save them, and I will keep them, and I will have them, and I will love them. The answer that you're all alone in this is answered when God broke through the darkness with penetrating light. And He came down. The second lie in John addresses is you've fallen too far. Isn't that the lie of the, the enemy? The enemy comes and says, yeah, but not you. I mean, some people have sinned, but you've really sinned. Some people are broken, but you're really broken. What is, what is First John? Oh, God came down. Not so you could carry on with your sin, but to know that you've got a, somebody who's got your back in your sin. And not only someone who's got your back, somebody who's got the front. He's got it all. Listen to 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm not writing saying it's okay to sin. I'm just telling you this, that you have help in the battle and you have hope in the battle because you have forgiveness for your sin from beginning to end. Jesus took on human flesh. Why? He says this in verse, at the end of this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Is that not good news, folks? If you don't think that his sins are not sufficient for you, his death is sufficient to pay for all who would trust in him. Efficient and sufficient. Efficient to purchase a people for God, a remnant purchased and promised from before the foundation of the world, and sufficient such that if any call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. We were praying for the UK earlier, and I have a good friend of mine, Tim Wills. I get, I get an email every Sunday morning with scripture verses from him. He's planting a church in, uh, in uh, Telford in the UK. And uh, Tim and I were roommates way back in university. He was one of the smartest. He is one of the smartest guys I ever knew. No, he became a lawyer, got into law school, got into university early, got into law school early, became a crown attorney, prosecuting attorney. And in the middle of all of that, God laid his hand on him and said, you are mine. 
And my friend Tim became a believer, and he left everything, sold his, M- his BMW, sold his house in, in, in up near Toronto and near Niagara Falls. He sold it. Everything moved his family to the UK and started planting churches in Scotland and then in England. Right? He was an advocate. He would go in and, and as a lawyer and plead the case. You know, he was, a, he was an advocate for who? He was a crown attorney. He advocated for the law. They loved him. He was hard-nosed. He was a justice guy. You know what? Jesus Christ comes in, and who does he advocate for? He advocates for both sides. He advocates for God in one sense and says, you are right. But, he's, but he says, but I am righteous. I have satisfied your law. I have taken the curse. I fulfilled the demands. The wages of sin is death. It is placed on me. And that Jesus came in the flesh, not only so that by his flesh he might die in your place as a substitute for your sins, but risen in the flesh and seated at the right hand, he now lives to make intercession for you. He is your advocate. You don't have to be your advocate. Your arguments are lame. You know what your religious argument is? I'll do better tomorrow. I'll pray harder. I'll do my devos. We negotiate with God. And God sits up in heavens and laughs. Give me a break. You haven't done it since you were eight. You're not going to do it now that you're 80. And we're limping along, trying to negotiate our way. Friends, stop negotiating your way. You are far worse than you could ever imagine, Tim Keller says, and you are far more loved than you ever dreamed. Isn't that good? A, you're not alone, and secondly, you haven't fallen too far. What about being broken beyond repair? Don't some of you feel this? Am I the only one sometimes thinking, man, I am royally messed up? What will, who will save me? Who will save us? Oh, wretched man that I am. Doesn't Paul say that? Who will save me from this bondage, this desperate state? Thanks be to God for who? Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So look at John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. I don't purify myself in hopes that I will see him. I have hopes that I will see him, so I purify myself. Get it? World of difference. I don't battle sin because I think if I battle sin, God will love me. I battle sin because God loves me and I know this is my end. When I see him, the battle will be done. The brokenness will be healed. He will make all things new. He has taken on my flesh to rescue, redeem, and restore my humanity. My humanity is not to be cast off. I will be human forever, but I will be human glorified purified, sanctified, because I will see him who has taken on flesh and been glorified. Jesus right now is glorified in heaven. Is that not good news? John chapter 4, nobody could love you after this. That's where he comes in and says, you know, I love John chapter, First John chapter 4. If you go down, sorry for the guys down at the uh, 
on the PowerPoint. You know, I'm just running through this, but First John, John chapter four, verse thirteen. By this we know that we abide in Him and in us, because He's given us the Holy Spirit, right? We have seen and testified the Son, the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he's God. And we've come to know and believe the love that God is for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. God abides in this. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence before the day of judgment because so he is also we are in the world. Therefore there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And, and, you know, the enemy, the devil wants to come along and say to you and me, nobody could love you after this. And he says, this is love in First John. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a toning sacrifice. When did Christ start loving you? When you got your life together? Or did you get your life together because he first loved you? It's the gospel. The enemy wants to point to you and say, this relationship's contingent. You've got to elevate yourself. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to achieve. No, there's none of that. It starts out with this. I have hope because he set his love on me. Jesus says to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. John knew this to the core of his being. And so I just want to remind you this morning, that's what the Holy Spirit testifies. This is Christmas being celebrated. He came to us. We didn't go to him. He rescued us. Finally, in John, we have this argument. You know, hearing your voice, I'm stuck. This is my condition. I'm here for for the rest of my life. But go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life And this life is in a son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. What's he saying? God sent his son into the world so that you might be his forever. This, you know, this this week flesh and it's all its struggles this broken world with all its sin has a timeline on it it's dated it it will soon pass but my dear friends he's coming again one day and those who are in the sun will be made new and he will reign forever and ever and we will reign with him forever and ever is that not good news and if we could sing the hallelujah chorus and do a decent job and we would sing it, and he shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign. <laughs> the whole choir jumping in. My dear friends, it's not our singing, but his singing over us that gives us hope. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and prepare to take communion. Now, do you understand what I meant when I said that... Um, The Holy Spirit celebrates Christmas every day. Every day. Against all the lies, every day. The Holy Spirit says He has come in the flesh.
Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.